Hello and welcome to Axlander, a podcast about and for all of you who have left their home to find a new one abroad. So today um, I'm talking to Tom Kent, who's joining us live from Prague. So hi, Tom. How are you? Hi, Eva. How are you? Good, good. How about the start in the new year? How did you start in Prague? Well, it's uh, it's we've had four times it snowed the last two weeks, so it's been a great start. Uh, of course, just up and running. Uh, in my business, I work with U.S. clients on their career searches, and it's never a busy moment. So it's been quite busy even since the beginning of the year. Okay. Well, uh, I think it would be quite interesting uh, for our audience then on Axlander and perhaps some of our other viewers as well and some of your viewers to know a bit more about you, about your background, where you come from, um, where you stem from, where you live currently and uh, how you feel about this whole sort of expat, repat, being born in a different place experience. So yeah, over to you. Yeah, so uh, I was born in uh, 1973. My parents were originally from Czechoslovakia, from Prague, and they had immigrated in 68 to Canada during the Soviet invasion. Uh, I was born a few years later, and we only lived in Canada for about a year and a half after I was born, and then we moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. And so I consider myself a Texan who lives in Prague now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Texas, went to university at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy, mm-hmm. uh, spent five years in the military, and then got out lived in Texas, moved to Seattle, worked in Silicon Valley, even New York. And then seven years ago, I decided I wanted to live in Prague. It was always my dream to live back in Europe. I had been stationed there in Italy and as a Czech citizen for my parents. I also have U.S. and Canadian, but I wanted to leverage my uh, Czech citizenship and see what it's like. And seven years later, I'm still here in Prague. So it's been quite a ride. Great. So you went basically back to the roots. <laughs> Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all my relatives live here, minus my parents and uh, siblings. They live in the U.S. Okay, so you said you've got three, I mean, you've got three passports, Canadian, the U.S. passport, and Czech yeah. passport, but then Canada, is that even a part of your identity, or is it just something that you were born, is it, is it a place that you were born in, and then you just moved, and it, it doesn't identify you, or it doesn't define you, you know, in any way? Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I feel like an American, uh, American slash Czech, Czech American, but not really uh, very Canadian. I actually never went back to Canada to Ontario after my parents left when I was a year old. And so I feel like it's sort of an accident that I was born there. But, uh, you know, I feel much more American than even Canadian. Cool. And how is that then um, to switch from Texas, you know, which is a very specific place, I would say in like yeah. American terms. Uh, how was this transition then to go back to Prague, back to Czechia, back to a completely different setting? Well, to be honest, my first job in the army when I was 22 was in Korea. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was supposed to be in, in Seoul in the capital city. And so I was sent to the border where there's a bunch of small towns And that was probably the biggest culture shock I had in my life was to be stationed on the border between North and South Korea, recently graduated from university. After that, I was stationed in uh, Italy for the rest of my military. So mm-hmm. early on, I had a lot of cultural shifts. I think moving to Prague seven years ago was a much smaller cultural shift for me because one, I spoke Czech. Yes, I had never lived here, but at the same time, I had visited the city several times, and the core city is is very easy to navigate. So I, 
I felt right at home immediately, surprisingly. What did, what did your parents say about this? I mean, how did they react? Because for them, this was something very, I would say, very painful, right? Like they had to leave their home for political reasons. Um, and they, during those, you know, like communist times and those, those very, very hard years, they were not allowed to come back. So was this a bit emotional for them, like this decision for you to, to move uh, back? Well, you know... Uh, if I may be that nosy. <laughs> I, I was 40 at the time and my mom said, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. <laughs> so um, I, I remember distinctly a friend of mine that I worked with at IBM. He really questioned the decision. He's like, you know, that just doesn't make sense. Why would you move to Prague? And I just told him one sentence. I said, it's always been my dream to live in Prague. And he perfectly understood when I said it's been my dream because economically uh, the jobs that are available in the U.S. is much more. It's a country that's 30 times the size of Czech Republic. And also my, the language that I grew up speaking and professionally is English. So I was coming to an area where there were quite a bit, much more limited opportunities mm. of what I could do, but I was determined to make it work. And when I came here, I actually launched a very encompassing uh, job search strategy to get a job and be hired within two to three months. And I thought if I don't do it, then I can always go back to U.S. And that actually, that job searches, that story is what I use in my coaching now as well, is how you can go to a totally different continent and country and really use networking in a powerful way, which gets you many job opportunities. Mm -hmm. And what about differences in mentality there like is it something that you had to struggle with in the beginning because this may be pretty different and in terms of job search and job market and job conditions was this something that was an issue or or when well, you think about the two, two two different continents and two different let's say mentalities and or like approaches to job hunting and um, employment in general Well, I think, you know, the, the volume of available jobs was obviously much less than I would be looking for because I didn't want a job speaking Czech. I was very limited to English speaking jobs. But yes, the availability was different. But the thing is, I was very focused on what I wanted to do. So that laser focus really enabled me to just hone in on those opportunities and network with those people that was a fit for what I was looking for. I had come from New York and I'd done a job search in New York similar New York has a lot of openings, but at the same time, they had a lot of people. So, you know, you could say that the competition for every job, there was within a few hours, 500 to 1,000 people applying for it. In Prague, there were probably less, less jobs and less people comparatively. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that the strategies of being very focused and networking with the right people, they work in any city. And really using LinkedIn as a tool really helped me to crack open the Prague job market as soon as I got here. I actually connected with 750 people on LinkedIn before I even came here. Before you came here. Okay. That was sort of my strategy to connect with people on LinkedIn. Cool. And how do you, how do you like it? I mean, are you intending to stay or do you, in, do you think about coming back to the U.S. like to your second home one day, just let's say to settle like for your retirement or is this just something that is a transition period, let's say for 10 more years. <laughs> you know, if, it's hard to say what will happen in 10 years. I know. Uh, but 
you know, right now I, I run a coaching business with uh, over 250 clients in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I'm building a team that's going to be there of coaches and salespeople. And so geographically located, they will be in U.S. or the Americas. And maybe there come, might come a time where I, I might find myself moving there as well. But I, my ideal state is like have like a foot in both countries because I've, I've traveled a lot to the U.S. My immediate family being in the U.S., and, and a lot of friends, and now my business, it definitely makes sense for me to, uh, you know, have presence in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So you're an American, a Czech, or are you a global citizen? Or is it hard to define? Growing this is up, one of the topics, you know, like with our audience, like this is exactly sometimes... Yeah. Well, identity, it's very easy for people, for certain people to put, put people into boxes, right? Like to label yeah. you as, you know, like you're this and that, therefore you have to act a certain way. But, you know, life is not like that. So what do you feel like? Well, I think growing up, my, uh, my dad especially was very identified with being Czech. And he would say, Michishi, we Czechs and, you know, and talk about Czech culture, Czech relatives, Czech food. And... You know, as kids, we thought that, you know, everything Czech was on such a high level. And sometimes you might complain about uh, some American uh, habits or customs that he didn't like. And so we saw this big disparity and we thought, you know, why did they even ever leave? Because and, and a lot of what he was doing was idealizing what he didn't have. Of course, uh, yeah. people tend to do. <laughs> and so I felt a very strong identity with being Czech growing up. And I remember once visiting my relatives when I was a teenager and saying something like, you know, I'm Czech just like you. And he's like, you are not Czech. You are American. And even when I moved here seven years ago, I would, you know, say that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Czech. And, there, and one girl, a friend of mine, she took me aside. She said, Tom, I know you think you're Czech. You might have Czech citizenship, but you're not Czech. And I said, why? Well, you know, I, I, I speak Czech. My parents are Czech. Mm-hmm. Why am I not Czech? He's like, you didn't grow up here and you don't think like a Czech person. But I think it's more nuanced. I think it's more like a hybrid because, you know, I mean, America is a big country, 300 million. Czech Republic is uh, 10 million. Uh, everybody's different. There's, it's very hard to stereotype people. And uh, the fact that, you know, I have been able to live in many different countries, but also feel like I'm, you know, half Czech, half American. I, I do recognize that You know, when I hear Czechs say stereotypes about Americans, I say, well, you know, there's a lot of people, there's mm. 300 million people there. <laughs> so it's, it's quite hard to make a stereotype of a nationality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, that's super interesting. And, and why I was asking is that, you know, nowadays, nowadays it's become very, very popular to talk about a national identity is a sense of, it's something that is non-existent or like it's fading away very soon. And we're all like global citizens and it doesn't really matter because everybody speaks sort of some sort of English. But I think that hearing these stories and very often the expat experience or the settling abroad experience is very, very positive. But hearing those stories, sometimes I come to a conclusion that no, it's not like that. I mean, there's still certain roots that people do like to, you know, to go back to. And there's still certain, let's say there, there is a mentality or a mindset that is very, very typical. If Even if we can't stereotype and it's very awful to stereotype and it's a sim- simplification really, But yeah, I think it's something that is 
still very present. And uh, I can imagine that it's, in a way, it's also rather patronizing when one of the Czech women told you that you're not really Czech, that you're American, right? I mean, yeah. it is, it might be a good joke, but at the same time, I mean, nobody can take this away from you, even though you grew up somewhere else. And of course, you've got that different mindset, let's say, mm. let's say to business, because this is something very, very different, you know, how business used to be done in countries like Czechia. I mean, I like to call it Czechia, not the Czech Republic, because that's like a formal name, but like, you know, those countries and the US, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of something that you, let's say, dislike, or something that bothers you a bit, because I had a few Americans on this show, and one American who lives in Prague, uh, she's um, uh, from California, and um, yeah, she said that there are certain things, you know, it's not, not nothing negative that you'd need to be, you know, ranting about, but still, is there something that really bothers you, and that you can't come to terms with, and you cannot understand why people are behaving a certain way? <laughs> So I, 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 I was really thinking hard about how, how to answer this question uh -huh. uh, because some of the things that I thought were strange when I first came, I eventually found out that it's just a matter of like understanding it. But there's one thing that is pretty different from how people behave in the U.S. is that in Czech Republic, sometimes there's an excessive politeness to people in the store or people you meet. Oh, terribly mind, please. And, you know, in the U.S., we walk in and say, hi, where's the milk in the store? If you said that in Czech Republic, they would be like so insulted that you're so direct. You're, you're making me seem lower than I am, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and just the directness and using less words. I mean, yes, we say the word please in, in English in, in the U.S., but the way they say it here, they use a lot more words. And, and in Czech, it's called Vomachka. Uh, the sauce of what <laughs> yeah. you use and how you approach things. And I, I you know, I, I'm a pretty direct guy. And, and then also in, uh, in the U.S., we just don't use that sauce as much. And, and I saw this when I worked uh, at my first company at Avast was a lot of the Czech people thought the Americans were very militaristic, very direct. And I was like, no, we're just, we, we, we don't talk with the, using the sauce. So that's probably the one thing that keeps coming up because it's kind of hard for me. And even my mom has said it. She's like, you know, the way that uh, people behave in the stores, it's like uh, you're serving them instead of <laughs> serving you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I've heard and other stories of like, like, let's say Czech, like, like customer service not being as friendly as in the U.S., for example, on the other hand. So, so you as the customer have to be overly friendly. And I think someone's told me that that was reminiscent from communist times when you would walk into a store, they were the Lord. You were just this person coming into like, please, can you please give me some of this, some of the rare goods you have, you know, behind the counter. And so it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's overhang now, but. Uh, it might but still I, be the reminiscence of those days. Yeah, it, it might be that to a certain extent. But I think, uh, you know, one thing I've heard a lot is that people say, you know, Tom, you're very outgoing and, and, and that's very American. You know, I, I think if you generalize, maybe, but the thing is, I've met a lot of outgoing Czechs as well. So to say that just being outgoing and being open is American quality, maybe in general, it might be. 
but uh, but I found many open and outgoing Czech people as well. So it's maybe in degree, but you know, it's 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 so hard to make generalizations about mm-hmm. it is. It is. But um, going back to your, let's say, military years, like you were um, stationed in South Korea at the border with North Korea for two years, you said? Uh, I was on the border for one year and then in Seoul for my second year. So Okay. Well, can you talk a bit about that? Because that's a, a very rare. I don't think that I get to speak to people <laughs> with you know, such an experience on a daily basis. So that's very interesting. And you said you also learned some Korean. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually the uh, liaison officer to the Korean army. So I would go on the Korean bases occasionally. So how did I get to Korea? I never intended on on going. Uh, When I was at West Point and we were picking our spots where to be stationed, the top spots that I wanted, Europe and some spots in the U.S. and Texas and South Carolina were all taken by the time I got to choose. And I looked at the list and I thought, well, okay, everything else is three years. Rather than being three years in a place I don't want, I will pick Seoul, Korea, mm-hmm. one year. And Seoul was, you know, a great place to be. It's a cosmopolitan city of 10 million or, or more. And so I thought I had that secured. Mm-hmm. And about nine months later, when I get stationed there, I show up and they said, oh, your orders have been changed. You're going up to the border. And wow. uh, I was in shock because I already had my military orders and everything And they said, yeah, it was changed last week. Uh, So we didn't have time to tell you or we couldn't. So I spent a year on the border. That was a very big culture shock. Being in Seoul wasn't, but being on the border was. (laughs) I can imagine that, yeah. Yeah. And so I used to come to Seoul uh, frequently on weekends and found out, well, if I'm already in Korea, why don't I experience Seoul, what I originally wanted to do? So I spent my second year there, had a great time, really, really loved the city. And what was it like to be on the border with North Korea? Did you somehow experience, because there are lots of myths about it, right? But there is also quite a lot of, yeah, serious stuff going on. So was it something that you, I don't know, feared for some time or that you felt uncomfortable with or of course it was exciting but yeah well you're actually not on the border because the only yeah. the koreans are on the border we, we are sort of the, uh the reserve force but we are close to the border and you felt like there was a state of war constantly but mm-hmm. it was it was something that had been simmering for i don't know since the 1950s so it had been sort of a static alertness and the fact that you had to be on the base every night gave you a sense like, okay, this is real stuff. You can't just be uh, doing whatever. So you have to be available in case something happens. You know, the biggest thing was, one, it was a it was a fairly sized big army base relative to the nearby Korean town that was mm-hmm. there. And so instead of being in Seoul with a big city, the, the one thing, the military element was dominant. But second thing, if you wanted to go into off the base, you had these small towns only. And it was not the most cosmopolitan place to spend your 20s. <laughs> But what a story. I mean, uh, would I don't think that you would change something about it, right? You wouldn't change anything <laughs> going back. Well, I, let, let's just say that the contrast between living up there and when I was once or twice a month, I would go down to Seoul. And it was just like night and day. I, I tell oh, people it's like going to Disneyland. You know, uh, mm-hmm. because there was just such a such an abundance of uh, th- things to do rather than in the small village or town. Right. 
Okay. And one more thing then before uh, we talk about your business um, and you opening business in Prague, uh, is that you had a chance to meet Ronald Reagan. How did that happen? And I'm sure that you've already told the story many times, but please, could you share it with me on Icelander? So it's on my LinkedIn profile. The fact I that know, I know, yeah. Everybody That's needs it. to go to LinkedIn to find Tom Kent. Yes, if uh, you can, you can find me. I actually have the URL ceolinkedin.com, or find me as Tom Kent Kerners. But uh, yeah, I met uh, Ronald Reagan when I was a senior at West Point. I we did an academic trip to Los Angeles, and I was at a bar with some friends, and we were talking to. Uh, two girls and uh, one of the girls told me she worked for Ronald Reagan. I didn't believe her. She hands me her business card and she said, I'm doing like, I'm working there and going to university. And I, I started talking like, wow, that, that's awesome. And then she's like, well, would you like to meet him? <laughs> and I said, wow. sure. And she said, well, call me on Monday and I'll set it up. And I did. And she's like, can you be here at one thirty? And uh, I was actually calling from the hotel room of the teacher, the officer, professor that had, was leading our group. And he asked if he could come too. And so I, I, I he, he, came, he drove, <laughs> I didn't have the car. And so both of us got to meet Reagan for about 10, 15 minutes and get our picture taken. So. And did you talk about anything or did you have yeah, a chance yeah, at like, all to just chit chat? He was hard of hearing by then. So the assistant had to repeat everything. It wasn't a really thorough discussion. And I think a year or year or two later after that, he, he stopped seeing visitors. So mm-hmm. I, I saw him in the last year that, or last two years that he was able to see people. Great. What was your impression then? It was like walking into a movie set because he was um, standing up, looking at the window on the side and walking into seeing all his um, pictures of world leaders. I remember there was one picture with Helmut Kohl, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, it was just like walking into a movie set, you know, to see Ronald Reagan. I think he looked great. It's just that his cognitive abilities had, or maybe hearing um, as well. Great. I mean, this is, I, I'm trying to picture it, but I probably can't because this is something that you've got to experience, I, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what about then career nerds? Can you talk a bit more about that? Because uh, you're very, very active on LinkedIn. How did that idea come to your mind and yeah. Two and a half years ago, I had decided that I wanted to start uh, doing something in coaching. I had gone through a course and got certified and I wanted to leverage that those skills in a full-time business. And obviously when you start something initially, it's slow going. Actually for six months, I, I didn't do hardly anything in 2018, but then uh I was actually running out of money and I thought, okay, I got to get some clients. So I worked uh, pretty hard and I did a lot of LinkedIn um, messages and I got 10 people that might be interested in coaching and one of them became a client. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Like this actually works. But that was just the first one. The second client took two months to get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to give it like a very big discount. And then it kind of petered on for about, you know, two, three months. But then in March 2019, I had what I call crack the code. And I got 18 clients in one month. Wow. Now, if you think about that, there's 20 business days in a month. That's every single business day on average. I mean, one day I got three or four clients. 
the fact that I was able to get such velocity on client acquisition really showed me that, okay, now I have a process that I can then scale up and implement. So that was almost two years ago. Since then, I've coached 250 people. I'm now working on partnering with other coaches. I have a course and I do group coaching as well. So what I'm doing now is trying to scale the business beyond just me doing one-on-one coaching Mm -hmm. and really develop my process and extend it into being able to impact more people as well. Mm -hmm. And you also have your own YouTube channel, right? And you're very much present online. Um, And so you do career coaching or let's say job search, job interviews and all that around, right? This is something that encompasses the whole experience. Primarily, it's about helping managers and execs make the next career move Mm -hmm. with a couple different things. One is having very extreme focus. Second, Mm -hmm. personal branding. Third, networking. Fourth, interviewing. And fifth, negotiating. Mm -hmm. So all those things are what I help people in terms of, you know, making that leap for their ideal dream job. And actually, over the weekend, on Saturday, one of my clients went from a director position to a chief technology officer. So I'm quite happy with that. Because that's ultimately, you know, that's the proof in the pudding that, you know, the process that I've developed with my clients really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great reward for you, I guess, as well, to know that it, it, it was worth starting. But did you also have doubts in the beginning? Like, did you, did you ask yourself and question all, you know, the decision and, you know, had, had I made the right choice? Etc. Etc. I mean, that's natural, right? I did. I, I had a lot of doubts after uh, my got my first client and it took me two months to get my second. And I remember a friend of mine, she asked me, Tom, do you believe in yourself? And, and I was like, I, I, I don't know why, but that was like a, a, a trick question. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not seeing the evidence of this. You know, I'm not able to get uh, clients. And she's like, first, you got to believe in yourself, then someone else can believe in you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's what I really uh, took to heart, that I have to really trust that I can find uh, the solution. And actually, it opened my mind. I, I went through some entrepreneurial workshops in Thailand and really became very uh, adept at testing different strategies on you know, marketing myself, uh, selling coaching, and then actually doing the coaching and always testing and tweaking the process. Because, you know, if you're static, then you don't want to be keep doing the same thing. So I'm always trying to optimize what I do to make sure it's providing more value, but also being economical with my time. Because the last years I've had probably between two and 3,000 calls. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, and time is money. Let's, let's face it. And obviously you want to be efficient. So mm-hmm. I think some months in 2019, I had about 12 to 14 calls a day. So wow. I really worked hard on optimizing that last year. And now I'm working on that as well, because the one-on-one sales calls and coaching is important, but it's also very time consuming. So what I'm doing now is trying to optimize it and make sure that I can make the most out of my time every day. Okay. So have you hired other people then to do certain stuff for you? Are you delegating stuff? Well, yeah, I do have a team. I have a team of uh, three, three assistants. They do a lot of my communication on LinkedIn, helping me with various tasks, building the course with the channel, YouTube channel. I have a video team in the Philippines as well. So um, they're placed sort of worldwide or is are they based somewhere else? All, all virtual, yeah. All over, yeah, yeah, all virtual, yeah. 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 
that seems to be the, the, the new normal, I guess, and especially well, now I with COVID. I everybody virtually as well. So yeah. I have people in, uh, you know, everybody's in a different location. I mean, one day I'm coaching someone in New York, then California, then uh, the UK, then Dallas. So, <laughs> you know, not having to travel to your uh, coaching location is, is, is a great benefit. I mean, people ask me all the time. Like, don't, don't your clients want to see us? Like, yeah, for one thing, I don't think so. Because like, what, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to go to their office, their home, coffee mm-hmm. shop? And then how do I switch between uh, cities? So the fact that, you know, we're using Zoom right now, Eva, with you, uh, and we're in different countries, it's phenomenal. Yeah, It is. It is amazing. Have you got any Czech clients, too, that you'd be polishing your Czech, Czech language skills there? When I started, I, I, I was trying to do both Europe and US, but mm-hmm. I found that wasn't a good strategy. I did have five people here. Surprisingly, none of them were Czech. There were mm-hmm. two Slovaks, uh, one from Spain, one from Italy, and then German. Mm-hmm. But I, I really didn't market myself here. And after very quickly, I found out that as an American with American work experience and also the, the focus that I... Mm-hmm. Uh, help my clients is really focused on certain ideal clients and ideal outcomes. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. So right now, I work primarily with people who went to uh, military academies and are mid or senior level um, managers or execs. And that's my target group. Mm-hmm. Cool. And what about, I mean, you live in Prague. For many people, this is an amazing place, amazing city to be. What about your free time? I know that as an entrepreneur, I mean, you work 24-7 and it is your passion. But, uh, yeah, have you got any, like, spots or something that you like to visit? You like to spend time at certain places there? As it is something sort of like your second home that you return to? Prague's a great city to walk in, as you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I used to study there, so, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I live in uh, Vinohadi near Namishimiru. That's a great area to walk uh, and, and, you know, walking to Charles Bridge, to the Prague Castle, to Petshin Park, to Vishehrat, all these areas are, are within distance. And I, I try to walk between 10 and 20,000 steps a day. So every day I'm taking a walk through this area. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously, it takes two to four hours part of my day. But also being in the center of Europe, I like to travel around. Actually, 2020, uh, unlike most people, was the year that I traveled the most. <laughs> Really? Uh, yeah. I was, uh, I was in, well, before the pandemic, I was in, um, in uh, Morocco and in uh, U.S. And then during the summer, when we had uh, the green, green zone or the pandemic was very manageable, I was in Italy on two 10-day trips. I was in Croatia and Hungary. And mm-hmm. so I got probably, uh, I don't know, maybe 45, 50 days of, of traveling. So... <laughs> so that's one good thing about being your boss is that you can op- optimize your time. Being your own boss, that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So now I don't have to think about it since uh, most countries are closed and I'm just busy working. So I'm yeah. able to focus. <laughs> yeah, you did that travel, travel tour in 2020. Yeah. Okay. Uh, being your own boss, as I say, always, you know, thumbs up to everyone uh, who decides to go independent and, you know, in also quite uncertain times like these, 
actually manages to flourish, you know, the business and uh, think about different strategies and how things can be done differently. I mean, we need to develop and we need to go on. I think that that's um, what's 2021 going to be about and the years afterwards. So, Tom, unless you have anything else from uh, Prague? No, that's it. No? Cool. That's it. I mean, I would like to thank you very, very much for taking the time to speak to me and to our audience here on Axlander. I'm sure it's a very, very interesting show and hope it's not the last time. And maybe when pandemic is more manageable, I don't think it's going to be over very soon, but I really like the term that you used. Hopefully we can meet uh, for, for a quick chat in, in Prague. That would be great. Thank you, and thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Tom. Have a good day. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.